Hey guys, I hope you're doing great today and I can't wait to bring you the show. But before I do, I just wanna make a quick request. If you're listening to the show and you're getting good value and you're enjoying the content and you feel that it's valuable, if you could just take a second and go and give me a rating and review in whatever platform you listen, whether it be Apple or Google or uh, Spotify, whatever it is, just go and give me a rating and review, that would be very appreciated. All right guys, let's dive in. Yeah, so we we started off doing it just our own because it had been our own personal names. Then we got into the commercial realm, which I didn't understand how interesting that is. Like commercial <laughs> lenders or portfolio lenders, however you want to call them, can really do almost whatever they want. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. Hey, thanks for joining me on Just Our Real Estate. I appreciate you being here. Thank you for joining me. You have a lot of options in your life. I get it. We are being inundated with information and you are choosing to be right here right now. And I think that's awesome. Thank you for that. I have a good one for you today. I have a, a model that I can almost guarantee you, you have either not heard of, but you're certainly probably not doing it. This is something a little different and it was a lot of fun to find out about it. My guest today, uh, his name is Adam Zach. And he is uh, an engineer by trade. He still works as an engineer. He's not putting in tons and tons of hours, but he's still working as an engineer actively. So technically this is a side gig. Uh, and he's he created a business that allows him to semi-retire, which is kind of what he wants to do right now. He wants to semi-retire. And he does sort of this rent to own investment, creative financing type company where he's buying homes for people who can't qualify for traditional bank loans. And he's up to about 30 properties in five different states. And the crazy thing, or not crazy, but the interesting thing, because um, people are doing rent to own, I get that. He's basically finding folks and saying, you know, how much money, how much can you afford to pay for, for rent? And he's telling them, okay, you can afford, you know, he, he sticks to the 1% rule. So they say we can afford $2,000 in, in rent payment. He says, great, go find a $200,000 house and I'll buy it for you. And I will, you know, we'll create this rent to own or this contract for deed or, or lease option agreement. He has different ways that he does it. Um, but it's a really cool model and he's buying right off the MLS. I mean, I asked him like, you're paying full retail. And he's like, yeah. And it's just so cool because... You know, I sort of mock it a little bit toward the end of the of the um, interview, but you know, I get so many people telling me I can't find deals, I can't find deals. Well, listen, he's finding them right on the MLS, right in plain sight, and it's working for him, and it's a cool model. So I'm excited to bring this conversation to you. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and it was it was interesting and, and a learning experience for me too. So without any further ado, guys, I give you Adam Zach. All right, Adam, thank you for joining me, and welcome to Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me, Mike. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely, absolutely, man. Uh, I do I do a fair share of, of interviews and episodes with folks that are either not in real estate at all or they're kind of on the fringe. And the reason I do that sometimes is just to bring a little flair of the like just overall entrepreneurial kind of an ideas that, that come into the show. And I think it's sometimes it's good even for us real estate investors to realize we're business people at the, at the end of the day. Um, so I think bringing outside industries in to talk about how they do things can be valuable. However... 
I very much enjoy talking to real estate people. And, and I do. That's the majority of who I talk to. And I've done a couple of episodes back to back that were not super real estate intensive. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of like uh, giddy to get back into talking about real estate. So I'm happy to have you on. And it's, I think this is going to be a fun conversation. We've got things to talk about that I think sometimes are underserved. We don't talk about them a lot. So um, this is going to be fun, man. Thanks for doing this. Yes, it's uh, ready to dive in. Yeah, me too. So before I did my my research, uh, I know you sent me some information. I did my own digging. I, I know some things about you, but so that the audience is up to speed and kind of understand who they're listening to right now, can you give us some background on who you are, what you did prior to real estate, what you're doing now, and why you got into real estate? Yep. So before real estate, it was the typical nine to five transition, go get a job, do something that you think you like. I figured I was good at math and science, went into engineering, mm-hmm. did the engineering and was kind of like, okay, this is great. Got a high paying job. I should be just set for life. Right. And that's like the American dream, yep. which it, it, in a lot of aspects I'm grateful for. Uh, but then you just start getting the itch and you start looking out the window a little bit longer each day. Yeah. And you kind of start thinking like, oh, what does what does financial independence look like? Oh, that's kind of a sexy word. I like that. Like, let's, let's see what I can do. Maybe that's stocks. Maybe that's starting my own business. Maybe that's, you know, getting rich in Bitcoin. And so you start playing around with the different things. Yep. And then it was really discover personal development. That was, that was like my second coming where I read a book on just like, Oh, I never thought I'd read a book because statics dynamics and, you know, thermodynamics just killed the living daylights out of reading, you know, yeah. for any sort of fun. Yeah. And so once I kind of got into that, um, now within the last, you know, six years, it was okay. Read, you know, a couple hundred personal development books, get married. I got a three-year-old, a one-year-old, and then we happened to have, you know, 30 properties that came along the way. But I think it all started by just, just getting really curious and having a large enough unhappiness meter to be yeah. like, you know what? I'm going to do something about it. Cause a lot of people are like, yeah, I want it. And it's like, oh, give me a scale one to a hundred. How much do you want it? Cause like a hundred is like, you're not going to sleep. You're not going to eat. You're not going to do anything. And someone's like, yeah, I want it. But it's like a 33 out of a hundred. Yeah. Okay. That's, 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 that's the level of success thing. Cause you're going to have 67 other things that come before that. Yeah. You know, Mike Tyson, I got a thing behind me here that says Mike Tyson said, everyone's got a plan so they get punched in the mouth. Here's the problem. If you, you will get punched in the mouth from time to time in business. And if you don't want it bad enough, you will not get back into the ring. So you're right. Uh, and some people are motivated by what they want. And some people are motivated by what they don't want. And and I think you, you kind of hit on it. Like you just get more and more, um, unha- not unhappy necessarily, but you, know, you get more and more uncomfortable with what you're doing and, and the thoughts of doing it for the next 30 years and what retirement, you start getting worried about it. I did the same thing. And I started wondering, how do I what do I do here? Financial independence, right? Um, it's what we all want. But to your point, most people want it between zero and 50%. And that's just not enough motivation to get them going. And some people have to just hit rock bottom. I just interviewed someone earlier today who's, who mother, their mother passed away when they were in their early 20s. And they were, it was life changing. Like, I am no longer going to accept life that I, a life that I don't want. You know, and it's like you don't want that to be what motivates you, somebody passing away, but it just kind of underscores the point that sometimes you need to be shaken or you have to hit rock bottom before you decide to take action on something. So what 
so looking out the window, was it sort of like a slow burn for you getting into real estate or were you just like one day your boss was an idiot and you were like, I've had enough. And, and I think just to be kind of clear here for everybody, you're, you're still working a nine to five or no? Yeah. So technically I'm still employed yep. by them. I fill up my timesheet last week and I put down five hours. Okay. So, so you're still working ish for somebody. Yeah. Um, so you didn't just cut, you didn't just cut ties and go, this is take this job and shove it kind of a thing. How long did it take you from the point that you started getting an itch? Like I, there might be something more here that I could be doing with my life and my time to the point that you actually were taking some massive action. Sure. So the very first property that I bought was kind of an accidental house hack where I bought it. Me and my college roommates were going to live in it. We were going to just party. Like there wasn't anything strategic. It was like, oh, I could get some rent. And then when you realize that the property's appreciation, they're paying your mortgage. I was like, ooh, this is kind of cool. Yeah. So then, you know, three years later, when I truly turned it into a rental as opposed to just selling it and, you know, upgrading to go with the meet with the Joneses, because at that time I was getting married. It's like, oh, let's buy a nice house. We both have two incomes. I was like, oh, I'm, I just about fell into that trap. Yeah. And so luckily we kept it. The tenants flooded the basement the very first spring, like it was an absolute disaster. <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't know about bigger pockets. I didn't know about all this stuff. So it was literally just like, fire ready aim. And yeah. and I still did like, I was still like reading and educating myself just so that you don't walk into a ring completely unprepared. Yeah. Um, but I didn't do it to the point where I got stuck in the paralysis by analysis, but there was a point there where it was just like, okay, how much stuff can I consume? And there's something about just going from zero to one. That's way harder than going from one to two to 10 to 20. 100%. And so, and so just whatever your unique situation is that you can get into that first one, whether it's a partnership, whether that's your own property, whether that's, you know, just something that you know that you can just like work for a real estate agency, a property management, just something to surround yourself with real estate if that's your thing. So that was, that was kind of my initial baptism. It was, it was fairly slow, just like learning about it. Then yeah. I was like, convince the wife, like, Hey, this is what we need to do. Cause we got to be on the same page because my risk meter, you know, is non-existent and hers is like, okay, safety, security, like, let's make sure we're, you know, not going to lose our hat on this thing. Yeah. And then, you know, so that was like very involved to now, you know, I tell her to buy a property and it's kind of like, Oh yeah, I also picked up milk and you know, she cares <laughs> yeah. about one more than the other. It's not the real estate. Yeah. And so it, it just kind of turns into the, to the normal uh, segue there, but there was a point where it was, okay, you, you do all of this, like build up, like building the foundation of the house where you're like, okay, get the mindset, right. Get the materials, get some other things, you know, ready to rock. And then really it was just, Pour, pour on some gasoline and just keep trying a bunch of stuff and yeah. fail really fast. Totally. You mentioned the getting from zero to one is harder from one to two and two to many, right? It's It almost feels a little bit like the matrix. Like there's this false wall up in front of you to get to that one. And once you go over it, it's like you took the blue or the red, whatever one that makes you see reality. And it's like, wait a minute, that wasn't that bad. And now you can see all the walls in front of you are so much shorter. You know, there's just not as much resistance because you sort of get it. You know, I, I'm going to completely stereotype your industry a little bit. I've worked with engineers on a coaching level, mentoring level. I've had them, you know, as people that I'm working with. I find that sometimes engineers get in their own way because they want to analyze it to death and they want to come up with every scenario why it will, will not work and then eventually talk themselves out of it. But you mentioned that your risk tolerance is basically zero or infinite, however you want to look at it. You've, you, you're, very, you're fine with risk. 
is that unusual? I mean, do you find that your your friends or other engineers are like, you're, what are you doing? Like, did you run the numbers? So many things can go wrong. Do, do you have unusual yeah, risk for your industry? That that's that's a fair assessment because it's it's definitely changed with time. Because okay. when you first look at it, it was like, okay, yeah, run all the numbers, and I definitely you know um, had that feeling of risk, like where you still get sweaty, like this is the first deal. Yeah. Um, and so when I say my risk meter is is nearly zero now, it's like, okay, well now it's like. Before it's like, oh, I got to see the property. I got to analyze the numbers 15 times and then yeah. I can put an offer. And now yeah. it's like, well, give me, you know, 30 seconds and I'll give you a ballpark number. And like, so then, then, then it changes a lot. So to, so to your point on like that, that is a very, yeah, different scenario of like, okay, how do I do this just so that I trust myself? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think and you, move on. people find too, they get so worked up and especially people who are good with numbers. It's very natural, but you find that real estate in the in the like in the micro sense is very forgiving and it's also imperfect right so you can spend all day running the numbers and you're still not necessarily a hundred percent right right it's a little bit of a guess at the end of the day and so like dialing it into the penny is sort of pointless you know it's sort of a little bit of a guessing game at that point and it's super forgiving but yeah and, and one and if I could add on to that yeah. you know the, the Tim Ferris where he was like well instead of me getting a master's at Harvard, that's going to cost 10, 20, 30 or 40 grand. What if I just planned on losing that? And if I don't lose it, okay, great. Um, and then if I make money even better, yeah. but instead of going for your master's in business, that's going to cost, you know, five to 20 grand, you know, why not use that as your 20% down payment? And if you lose it, yeah. okay, you've learned so much more than taking yeah. a master's program. And so that's why I feel like real estate's like almost the ultimate game where it's like heads I win, tails I break even. And that <laughs> is so that is. is a fantastic game to play. Yeah, it so is. And and people are so terrified because the numbers are a little bit bigger and I get that. Um but yeah, I I couldn't agree more with you and I think I think too many people overanalyze themselves to death. And in this market as you know, it's such a seller's market. You, the longer the every minute you spend overanalyzing, somebody else has already gotten the deal anyway. So you're going to miss out just because of the time spent. So let's talk about what exactly you are doing in this industry that is uh, slightly different. Um, it's this whole uh, uh, let's see what you call it, like set your rent. Like talk about that a little bit. What is that concept? What are you doing for for folks? And and how are you? What does your business model look like? Sure. So that, that was like version 1.0, which is why the name Set Your Rent came about, is we told college students, go pick a home off the MLS and we'll buy it for you as long as you pay the 1% rule. So this was a way of us getting a property that was kind of turnkey, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to buying a property, then advertising it, closing, waiting two months and, you know, potentially doing something fixed up. It was, nope, you're picking the home. So it was kind of set your rent. Hey, I want to pay $2,000 a month. Okay. You can pick a home, anything $200,000 or less. And then what we noticed is after a year or two years, they left and then market rents at 1500 or 1400 kind of came back to life. And I was like, ah, I don't know if I really like that because now the numbers don't make sense, but it still was reasonable. And then we found that people are like, well, you know, I'd like to do that. Plus I'd, I'd like to buy it. And that's where I kind of found Chris Crone and others were like, oh, this lease to own or lease option can have all these benefits. And so that's now our biggest thing is instead of finding properties, we're finding people. Okay. And most of the times it's entrepreneurs or people with no credit or poor credit. And they're like, I go to the bank and they say, I need two years of taxes and COVID and my entrepreneur streak like looks really weird. And so what we do is we basically use that same concept and say, okay, you can go pick out a house for 200,000. 
we'll sell it to them for, you know, 210 anywhere in the next three years. And then they just pay a monthly rent. And then they have some like added responsibilities as the homeowner. And so you can do lease to own or a contract for deed, which is kind of two versions of the same, just different legal instruments. Yep. And really that's what helped explode our growth and accelerated the path towards uh, leaving the job. All right. So let's, let, let's talk about that model. And I have some questions. Right now, we're in a crazy like prices are going up. It's super like I don't I, you weren't in real estate. It doesn't sound like back before 2008, but people counted on appreciation because you could buy a house, sit on it, do nothing, wait two or three years and you'd make, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 dollars on the on the equity that you would get. And then 2008 hit and people were freaking out. Right. So with what you're doing, you're saying buy a house for two hundred thousand. We'll sell it to you for two ten within the next three years. Are you concerned that house prices will level off or go down, and they won't? In fact, they won't appraise. Then what? In the future, you're saying? Yeah, like three years yeah. from now, they go to buy it, and, and house prices have leveled or dipped. You know, like for sure. What do you? And, and so and so that's either um, if it's a lease option, they have the right to say, well, now this two hundred ten thousand dollar home is only worth one eighty. I don't, you know, want this property anymore. Yep. They're not going to exercise it, and then you know, technically, there'd be no skin in the game for them, and they could walk away. Yeah. And that's why we typically have an option fee to have them have a little bit more skin in the game, so that we can recoup um, any sort of you know downside, or if they choose to break the lease early, if it's a true contract for deed or a land contract or installment for sale. You know they can't quite get out of it the same way. Like it's it's almost like a seller financing where well that's still your property. You can decide to just stay into it and hopefully that the market corrects. Or you could truly just be like hey I want this and just you know leave it. In which case then you get the property plus all their payments back. And at yeah. that point, I would say it would be the worst time to try to walk away for something. And so we always have like an extension clause in our lease options that say okay well you can re-extend it for twelve months and here's like the new way of establishing it because yeah. we've had some. Um, individuals not get to the end of their term, but just be like concerned, like, Hey, I still don't know if like the bank's going to be financing it. And at least for our company philosophy, we'll never kick someone out as long as they're, you know, making payments. And so it was, we've done anywhere from three years to 30 year, you know, terms where as long as you're making your payments, it's almost like kind of like a private mortgage in a sense, we're between a landlord and a bank, just kind of trying to find that sweet spot. But you're absolutely right that them still trashing the place, them still walking away, the market going down and and them being kind of upside down on their property, they would have that same risk as any other homeowner that's buying a property right now. Sure. So if I can ask, how are you financing your, the deals that you do? Is it private? Is it your own money? Is it a bank? How are you doing that? Yeah. So we, we started off doing it just our own because it would be in our own personal names. Then we got into the commercial realm, which I didn't understand how interesting that is. Like commercial (laughs) lenders or portfolio lenders, however you want to call them, can really do almost whatever they want. Like they they have all of your money or all of our money's collectively say you know sitting in a credit union. They're like hmm, we got ten million dollars. If we loaned out, let's say five million of it, and we could charge like four or five percent, like yeah, maybe we should do that. And real estate seems like a good deal because they're sitting on everyone's you know checking and savings account. Yeah, and so not following um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, there's uh, you know a lot more forgiveness that we can do. And so we started doing that using a little trick that's that we call the seller credit trick. So instead of buying a $200,000 house and putting 80% down um, and asking for, let's say, you know, zero in concessions, we'll buy that same property for maybe 210, ask for a $10,000 seller credit so that we have to come up with not, you know, 40 grand, but 30 grand okay. as a down payment. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, the lenders just say, well, it's 80% of the appraised or the, 
you know, purchase price. And so that's kind of a way for people that are just getting into it. They want to do commercial loan to get less than a 20% down, okay. at least in our area. Um, lenders are okay with that. And that's a, it's a credit union. You said doing this. Yeah. So it's, it's typically a credit union. That's, that's the most common one, but otherwise there's like low, I call them local or regional banks. It's not like the bank of America or the Wells Fargo Yeah, yeah. Um, in the, in the Midwest, it would be us bank still a little bit, you know, too big, but for our area in the Midwest is like a gate city bank, but it's, yeah. it's something like enter your state. And if it's that state in the name, you know, it's usually a, a fairly local. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. So talk to me a little bit about the different kinds. I, I would like to talk about rent to own, lease option, contract for deed. What, what do all these mean? And what's the advantage, disadvantage? And and maybe from both the, the borrower or the buyer perspective, as well as the, the business owner yourself, which ones do you prefer? Which ones do you find to be the most lucrative? Which ones work the best for you? And which ones do people prefer that you, that you do? Sure. So I'll put on if I am selling it. So if I am the landlord, which one I prefer? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're the, the two biggest thing is, is there a city inspection required? And if that is, I like to go the contract for deed route because then you are no longer like required to make this, you know, the windows exactly three feet off the ground. The doorknob mm-hmm. has got to turn exactly 45 degrees or the city inspectors like on your you know, on your butt. Yeah. And so to get away from that, I would trend to the contract for deed, but from taxes and every other purpose, a lease option is better because a contract for deed gets charged as interest income, whereas a lease option is still a rental. You get the depreciation and you're and you're acting more like a landlord in that in that situation. So from taxes, if I was selling a property, I love selling all my lease options over contract for deeds. If I can, at least right now, maybe in the future, if I want to spread out my taxable game over a period of you know five or 10 years the contract for deed may be a better option. Now, if you're trying to buy a piece of property, um, I would say a contract for deed is just like seller financing. Like what can you negotiate for a down payment and interest rate and amortization? And you have a lot of flexibility there and you have the the highest sense of ownership with a contract for deed because you Mm -hmm. can file that at the county. Yeah, I typically don't see option agreements filed at the counties. It's more of like, it's, it's still a contractual agreement but it doesn't have as much teeth. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you can technically get out of it. So if you're like, Hey, I'm going to try this out for three years, but I want the option to walk away. I would, I would get a property under contract, especially in this market. Like you're saying, if, if there's, if you're buying a house right now, that's worth 200, but you're like, Oh, I think the whole floor is going to fall out mm-hmm. and you want to pay $2,000 a month. And you put down five grand as an option fee. But then all of a sudden the real estate crashes and that property is worth 150. You go, thank goodness. I got into a lease option so that you can just walk yeah. away you've, you know, basically rid your hands of it. And the landlord, you know, is then in that situation where you can either renegotiate or the landlord gets the property back and you've kind of just test drove it while kind of capping your downside and still getting your upside. Cause then if it appreciates to 250, you go, Ooh, I'm going to exercise my option to buy this at 210. And yeah. I'm going to, you know, kind of take that equity day one when I close on this. Yeah. So how do you decide as the, as the person on your side, the business person, how do you decide what you're going to charge for that? What's the option going to be when they go to buy it? How much are you trying to understand and predict what it'll be worth and how much you trying to kind of hedge that so they don't want to walk away because it's not worth that anymore? You know what I mean? In this, in this environment, everyone's like, oh, it's going to be worth a million dollars in a year. Like, what do you do? You don't know three, four years from now what's going to happen. Yeah, it it's usually a combination of two things. It's either like we'll take like a, a standard one or two percent appreciation and put that on there for three years. Okay. Or whatever their term is and say, okay, anything above that you get to keep, but that's kind of like how we 
recoup some of the risk is adding that on there. Other times we'll just add like a flat dollar amount, like five grand or 10 grand and just say, well, we're closing on the property. We have these different costs. Like that's kind of like our closing cost, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, surcharge onto it as opposed to um, selling it to them at a different place or charging them a bunch of fees. Cause we don't do that. It's just, what's your option fee that goes towards your purchase price. And then what's your, you know, monthly payment, uh, monthly credits. We usually give them like 10 to 20% of the monthly payment as a credit that goes through it on mm-hmm. the, on the lease option route. And so those, those it's, I wish there was a science. We're still new enough that we, kind of are playing it like an art because yeah. if something's like super, you know, popular, like, you know, if we're buying a property in Tulsa, Oklahoma, they're like, well, you have to have an offer and it has to be over asking. And so like, okay, well, how high do you want to go? You know, we call them tenant buyers, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of the vernacular where they're kind of a tenant, but a buyer where they're you know entering into this lease option or contract for need. And like, well, yeah, it's 150. I don't want to spend more than 175. And so then we can kind of see how much the seller is willing to work or if we have to go in with an all cash offer. And if we do that, well, then there's, you know, additional, you know, considerations that we have to do. If we do a commercial loan, that's kind of our least expensive option. Okay. Kind of just, yeah, playing that delicately. Yeah. So are you still purchasing off of the MLS? Is that the primary mode? And are you paying full retail for these, for these houses? Yep. So that's, that's kind of the risk that we're taking where it's like, okay, this is an MLS property. If it's 190, if it's 200, well, in, in North Dakota, we have a little bit more wiggle room because it's not as hot as other places in the country. But like for Tulsa, it's like, oh, it's listed at for 180. We're going to put it at 190 and your number is, you know, 200. Are you okay with that? And, you know, if they say no, it's like, okay, well then pass and, you know, okay. no, no harm, no foul. But, if you're going to say, like, oh, we're going to start putting in offers at 170 on a you know market that you're not even going to be considered, okay, that's a whole different story. What kind of? And then the. Well, I'm, so, I'm oh, sorry, sorry real quick. What kind of uh, commitment do they like? I come to you as a as a tenant buyer, and I say, um, Adam, I want to buy a house, and I, I want a two hundred thousand dollar house. You start making like what? What's my commitment level at that point that you don't get something under contract, and then have to bail because they go ah. Or they can't get, you know, what I, I guess they're not getting financing. That's the whole point. But what if they just back out? Like, what's their, what, what is their op, op, obligation? Sorry, I couldn't get the word. So out. we had that happen for the first time um, at the end of last year. Because okay. before, everyone's so thankful that they just, you know, jump onto it and are happy. And, and we've never had someone just like fully, you know, pull back. And we had that happen to someone. And then we kind of just had to eat it. We're like, okay, well, lesson learned as an entrepreneur. Don't do that again. So now we essentially treat the tenant buyer as if they are the buyers. They put down the earnest money, they pay for the inspection, they pay for the appraisal. So essentially, if they walk away, um, nothing but our time is lost. And then they're the ones that are losing it just like they would be for a home buyer. So that's yeah. kind of how we get them involved. Yeah, that's smart. When it comes to lease options, you mentioned you mentioned contract, contract for deed. One of the advantages is that you don't have to worry about city inspections. When it comes to lease options, you do. And then uh, essentially, you also are like a regular landlord in that you have to fix leaky toilets and the roof leaks or whatever happens. It's just a regular tenant um, tenant landlord relationship. What about what's the difference between rent to own and contract for deed? Sure. So I would call rent to own lease option like those 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 are interchangeable or lease to purchase or lease lease purchase option. Yeah. For for some reason. I, I did the Google analytics. Everyone searches for rent to own homes. Really? Nobody ser- very few people search for lease to own or lease, lease option homes. Everyone calls it rent to own. Cause I think that's just the vernacular that people gotcha. are familiar with. 
And people are like, oh, you don't want to do rent to own home. I was like, well, you probably don't want to do rent to own on an appreciating asset, but I'm okay doing rent to own on an appreciating asset that the longer I hold it, the higher the value goes up. Because if it's on a TV or furniture or a car, like, okay, yeah, I get how you're just every second you have that thing, you know, you're <laughs> exactly. losing, exactly. you're losing time. Yeah. Um, but to your point on the lease option on what the tenant can and can't do or what responsibilities that you have, that is a gray area that we've been trying to figure out ourselves. And okay. so full disclosure, like every state has something unique. So like in North Dakota, it says that you can have the tenant do additional responsibilities, but it can't be anything structural. Okay. Like, so you could have them, you know, maybe fix up to $250 or fix the leaky toilets or do the doorknob because they have this exclusive option to buy it. And I know in other states, that's not the case. And I know even other landlords that just say, well, this is a lease option agreement. You're responsible for all repairs and maintenance. And yeah. so you can, you can um, kind of flirt that. And my, my general consensus was, well, whatever you two agree on, you know, is, is, you know, probably acceptable if they're like, Hey, I, you know, I'm buying this house and I understand that it's not in great shape, but I want to fix it up because yeah. they can't get financing. And so we've had people that buy a home, put 20 grand into it and then sell it and they make a profit out of it. And they're kind of almost just using us like almost like hard money, but yeah. um, it's, it still works for them. They made a yeah. great profit. Totally. Now, I have to believe with your whole model, it seems like every bit of what you're doing is marching people toward home ownership. How much, if any, and I'm I'm asking this with kind of a loaded question, I think I know, but how much of your model includes credit repair, helping them get to the point? Because they obviously can't be approved for a loan or they wouldn't be coming to you. That's right. So on every application we have, at least on the on the lease options and, and for everyone else, we did an interview with what's called the Village Financial Resource Center. And there's a bunch of other people. Mm-hmm. So it's in my mind, it's it's there's credit repair and there's credit counseling. Mm-hmm. So credit repair is like, hey, give me fifteen hundred bucks, I'll go through your credit score and kind of clean things up. Whereas a credit counselor, there's a lot of nonprofit organizations that you can even do nationally that just says, Hey, I can pull your credit score, I can see what's going on. And if you maybe, you know, pay $20, like a really low cost, like they'll counsel you on your credit and educate you. Yeah. And so for everyone that comes to it, like we can't make them, you know, talk to them, but we're like, Hey, here's someone or find someone locally, just work on that because getting bad stuff off or, you know, just making your payments or getting current on judgments is a huge thing. And so we don't have any prepayment penalties or anything like that. Like if it takes you a month and you refinance, or if it takes you four years, um, you know, we'll, we'll be okay with everything. And so we probably, to, to your question, we could probably do a better job of just like, Hey, have you, you know, how is your credit going? Yeah. A lot of times we're just kind of in the, in the thick of things and just, you know, as long as they're paying, we, um, you know, are kind of letting it go, but that's a good point to just be following up with them more often. Just like, okay, well, you know, interest rates are still low. Like if you could refinance great. Cause yeah. you know, to, to that point, then we'll just cash out and we'll go help someone else. Yeah. Okay, that's what I was. That was my next question. How much do you shepherd them in that direction? It sounds like not a lot. How long have you been running this model? Because I know you give people three, three or four years or whatever to cash out. How how many cycles have you been through? So we started the very first one in the spring of 2019. Okay, so we just passed the two year mark. Okay, so I, I assume some of them have cashed out at this point and, and they've refinanced out and you got your money back. Um, but you, I think you said you have 30, 30 properties currently that that you're doing this with. Um, everything payments going well? Like, is it what what are the what are the 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 cracks in the dam, so to speak, if any, that you've seen so far? Sure. So the the hardest one that that we saw as both a blessing and a curse was COVID, where it was like, okay, 
if if these kind of we'll call them questionable individuals that I'm using kind of the air quotes that can't get a bank loan are technically seen as riskier. Mm-hmm. And we have one out of our properties. We have just just under um, 30 properties that are you know in this model. Some of them are just normal rentals. Um, we have one property that they're not current where they okay. said, hey, I had COVID. We had all this stuff. And we kind of just said, OK, whenever you can make it up or have some sort of plan. But we had several people who was like, hey, I, you know, I can't do this. And it would have been every right of ours to you know, like, oh, sorry, you know, it doesn't matter. We're going to you know, do the eviction, do a foreclosure. And so that was just kind of a, a business um, philosophy. Yeah. But so far, just being reasonable with the people um, has turned out phenomenally well. So we haven't had to evict or foreclose or, you know, say anything. We, but that's just our more philosophy where it's like, OK, if you're a couple months behind, let's just make a plan to make it up. And so our hopefully, you know, I, it, it's tough because I read the statistics. I don't like what the actual foreclosure and eviction rate was. And as we do more of these, I know we're going to have to do it. And I'm dreading the day that we have to because it's just going to, you know, suck, yeah. frankly, because yeah. we're going to have to just, you know, once you get to like a 3% thing, well, yeah, once you do 100 homes, it's like, okay, you're going to be part of the statistic. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I had read somewhere else that it was like 50% of lease options don't get exercised or like something staggering. And I've seen it here locally where people really take advantage of these people. We're like, oh, if you got $10,000 in, I don't need a credit. I don't need an income check. So we, we, we screen them like a landlord and like a bank. Yeah. We have a third party service do it. And we say, okay, you're not going to pay more than one third of your income because we feel like we shouldn't be stretching people to like 50% of their debt to income ratio. Like you want a $200,000 house. That's great. You can do that with the bank, just not with us. Yeah. Okay, you get a hundred and forty thousand dollar house because that's the payment that you can afford with us, and it's kind of managing people's expectations. Yeah. So I think by doing that and maybe not giving them everything that they want, but at least giving them something that fits within their budget has has helped us. But there is the trying times of like, well, is this person ever going to get a bank loan, or you know, are they even trying? Or sometimes they just get comfortable, like, oh, I'm paying this, and yeah. that's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, but hopefully you know, if they go three years or five years, unless we see some drastic correction, it's going to be dang near impossible for them to not come out ahead. Yeah. Like if you, if you buy any piece of real estate, and just hold it for five years, unless you're paying something egregious, just between, you know, some pay down and the appreciation on the property, you're going to be able to sell that thing or walk away or refinance at, you know, a 90% loan to value and at least have something in there, which is why I love real estate. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned you won't you won't buy something or rent something or to somebody who for more than a third of what they make. You mean rent to uh, monthly income? Is that what you're talking about? You got it. Yeah. Yep. So, that makes so sense. if they make, yeah, if they make, uh, you know, six grand a month, it, you know, we wouldn't have them in a, you know, 200,000 or a $2,000 per month payment or more, unless yeah. they're like, I have no, like I'm completely debt free. Like I can go a little bit higher. They've had history of paying that more, that much more yeah. because, you know, we just won't want them paying $3,500 a month and just get yeah. squeezed. You're setting them up for failure at that point. That makes yep. sense. So it sounds also like if someone comes to you, uh, who wants to be, you know, over, or they have, you know, just horrible credit and they have a history of never doing the right thing, but they got 10,000, they've had $10,000 to give to you. You're not necessarily going to say yes. It's going to be, you, you've had to turn down people who had more than enough money to put down, but just look like a horrible risk on paper. Yeah. yeah. So the, that, the biggest risk mitigation for us is down payment. Yeah. And so if someone's like, Hey, I have civil judgments against me, all this stuff. Our, our goal is to never turn someone down. It just give them terms that make them want to improve themselves. So like, yeah. Oh, great. 
yep, you're, you're approved. Yes, you have $30,000 in collections against you. So, you know, your down payment has to be 30%. And they say, well, there's no way I can come up with, you know, 30 grand. Yeah. And I say, okay, well, the best thing to do is to probably take that 30 grand and pay off your bad debt. And then maybe you can do that and get a bank loan. You don't need us. Because the first thing we'll tell someone is, well, have you tried getting a bank loan? Because we do not want to buy a home for anyone that can get a bank loan because that is by far your lowest and best cost option. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and that's good. And that just kind of like the 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 underlying theme there is just like don't don't be a bad guy, do the right thing. Don't don't approve people that have no business and you're just setting up for failure. And if someone's better off, you know, spending a month to fix something on their credit, they can just get a loan themselves through the bank. Don't don't take advantage of that situation. So, I that's that's great. I love that advice. And and, and if you're if you're an entrepreneur listening to this, just because you were told by one bank no doesn't mean a different bank will say no. And so I usually say like, well, talk to a big bank, talk to a local credit union, and then talk to a mortgage broker. And yeah. between those three, you should get a pretty good opinion. If they all tell you the same thing, okay, that's you know that's maybe tough luck. And then we can go through it. But just because sure. one person tells you that, because we've had people reach out to us, I'm like, I think you got a 700 credit score and you and you show the right income. Like, I think you can get a bank loan. And like, oh yeah, like I could do that. And so that, even though killed me to do it because they were like, of course, the purpose rent rental or candidate for us, yeah, but yeah. it's just, it's just way better for them. Yeah. It's, it, you know what, it kind of feels good at the end of the day to give people good advice, even if it doesn't financially benefit you because it's the right thing to do. And, you know, at some point, maybe we all have to answer for these decisions. So let's just go ahead and do, do the right thing and, and make sure that we're not on the wrong side of that. Um, and, and like, and that's what you're doing here, Mike, like, you know, having listened to your podcast and doing stuff like this, it's like, all right, let's just try to educate the world so that maybe they can, you know, find themselves, get some, you know, freedom or get into this so that they can then go and help other people. So totally. I, 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 I really like what you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I'll tell you what, the most successful people I've met in this industry uh, for the most part, are are some of the most gener- generous, honest people who sincerely want to help. Because, you know, the people a lot of times, unfortunately, who are into maybe taking advantage a little bit or making some sketchy decisions when they're running their business, they're typically people who have not hit any level of success and probably never will. But they're they're so desperate to make money that they're they're almost willing to sell their soul. But once people I, I see that have kind of had this level of success. They realize there's there's no one deal, there's no tenant, there's no payoff that's worth your entire like all of your dignity, all of your self worth. Like there's so much money and deals and things to go around and doing it all the right way with above board, help actually helping people and trying to do the right thing for them. There's just no need to do anything else. Why would you do anything else? So, yeah. Good. And if I could add to that, I think I went through different versions of this because now it may sound like I'm talking from a high horse. I'm like, yeah, that's the right way we do it. When we first started off this thing, it was, we didn't know what the heck we were doing. We yeah. didn't know if we were taking advantage of people. We didn't know if we were illegal. It was kind of like, okay, <laughs> we, are, we are like just two young people trying to figure out <clears throat> if real estate and all this stuff works. Yeah. And so it was uh, you know, on a normal rental, I've had to evict someone. And it was like, you know, they pay the sob story. I was like, you know, they were just so good at being like, you know, thank God for you guys. Like, thanks for giving me a chance. It turns out they were being evicted from their last place. And so it's like, how, how do you determine between like, oh, philanthropic and business? Yeah. And that was something I had to learn personally. Yeah. Like, okay, business is one thing and I'm going to treat this like a business. And let, if, if I'm not making a profit, this business is going to fail and we cannot help other people. Yeah. And so that and risk mitigation 
isn't taking advantage of people. It's, it's, it's just a successful business strategy. And if you, if you tell someone upfront, this is your payment, this is how it works, going above and beyond to educate them. So like, yes, like I've tried the bank. I don't want to rent. I'm being forced to move. I just want a home for my family. I don't want to move in the school district. Okay. This is the terms. It's more expensive than anything else you're fine, but you know, here's the benefits of it. And they say, sign me up for that. Then it's like, okay, that, that feels good, even though that we're making a good profit of it yeah. because they're seeing it as, as a higher value. But to start off, it was like Googling, what is a lease option? Like, do I have to have an attorney do this? And so like, it was definitely scrappy and sketchy to start. I love it. I, it just, it's making me laugh. I, you know, I get what you're saying and I don't want people to misconstrue, but when you said, when we were starting off, we didn't know if what we were doing was illegal. We didn't know if we're taking advantage of people. We didn't know what we didn't, I was like, I love it because I, what I hear when you say that is we just took action. We didn't overthink it. We didn't try to like be, like we were more interested in moving forward and learning and trying to do, you know, learn on the job, so to speak. People get so wrapped up and like, what if, I mean, I've had people give me what if scenarios that I swear to you, they would sooner win the lottery than the scenario they painted would happen, that they're not doing it. They're not moving forward because they're worried about this thing. And it's like, you could get hit, you would have to get hit by lightning five times in a row in order to hit those kind of odds. So I just, I love the entrepreneurial, like jump off the cliff, build the wings on the way down kind of an attitude, man. I love that very, very much. Yeah, um, the, 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 the easy example of that, if, if I could, is yeah. our first option agreement was whatever we could think up in our head. Like we didn't even think it was like smart enough to like Google it. It was literally like six sentences. And now our lease <laughs> option agreement is like a 12 page, like yeah. this is what you have to do. What happens? What's the payment like? Like it was literally six sentences. And I yeah. still have that same one. I was like, oh my God, like what were, what were we doing? Like, it was just like very basic, like just you're, we're having a conversation. Like, do you agree to this? Do you agree to this? Okay, sign. Yeah. And it was like, oh, we, we, we could have done a much better job, but it was like, just, that's just where we were at, what we started with. Man, the first, the first flip that I did, the private money, the first private money deal I did, the private money person I borrowed from was someone who I was kind of friendly with. He loaned me $100,000 and we didn't even have a contract. Like he wired me the money and there was no contract. It's like it was, he was taking the risk at that point. But even I like you, even as the borrower, you shouldn't go that, you know, wild west. But it's just funny when you're first starting, you don't know what you don't know. You don't even know what you should be terrified of. So you do things. And then looking back, you go, well, that could have went horribly wrong. You know what I mean? Worst case scenario. So now, nah, man, I love it. I love that message too. really honestly, guys. I mean, take it from uh, an engineer who apparently is uh just flying by the seat of his pants, figuring this stuff out. I love it. I think it's great. I absolutely love it. I don't advocate people doing things risky without taking any kind of precautions. I'm not saying that. I think everyone knows. We're just talking about taking action and not overthinking everything, right? You learn You learn a lot when you do, like you said, the Tim Ferriss thing. You do this, you do one deal, and you learn so much. And the, so the next one, and pretty soon you have a 12-page lease agreement as opposed to a six six lines. But you learn that along the way. You, you do. It's calculated risk. So... And I think there's different level of learning. It's like, you can listen to Mike on a podcast and like, okay, that's great. I'm going to apply this general thing. But once it gets into your situation and your deal, yeah, I feel like everyone just clams up. It's like, yep. well, every situation is just a little bit different. Totally. And so I, I participate in four different masterminds, have, you know, uh, multiple coaches over the last three years. And it's ironic, like that's when the hockey stick growth starts coming. Like, totally. you know, you could hire someone like Mike, who's like, okay, not only are, you know, are you going to listen to this free content, but Mike can like actually like specifically target your situation. Or if you have a group of people to talk with, yeah, a real estate meetup's great. But when you're actually like, I could buy a rich dad, poor dad, 
you know, off the bookshelf and pay $20 or I could get it for free. Like for some reason, this one that I paid money for all of a sudden has new meaning to me because I actually invested my money. It was crazy. Like I never thought I would pay for, you know, that type of things. And now I almost only exclusively, you know, (laughs) absorb content that I pay for just because I, I, I just hold more value to it. Hundred thousand percent. I totally agree with you. I was the same way. I thought I will never pay for coaching, masterminds, mentorship, whatever. And you're right. In the past five years, I have paid well over a hundred thousand dollars for coaching and and for help and things like that. And I agree with you. I, you know, I have a friend of mine who says, when you pay, you pay attention. And so I, I have given people advice for free. And I've given people advice they had to pay a lot for. And the people who pay for the advice tend to listen and act and execute at a higher level because they value it. They put a value on it. They can literally put a value. So listen, man, I could do this all day with you. You're a fun guy to talk to. I like what you're up to. I love your entrepreneurial spirit. I love the model that you're doing. It's so it's different. It's more different even than I was anticipating. I, th- I There were certain things I thought I was going to hear that it, you're doing it a little different than I thought. This buying off the MLS, finding someone, pick your house, like... I've never heard anyone say that. So that's why I was so like interested in like, are you are you still buying off the MLS? Like, what about the market we're in? Like, it seems like you're just you're moving forward and it makes sense. And I get what you're doing. And it's it's a really cool thing. So when people say I can't find deals, like seriously, like, come on. There are actual models that you can literally buy off the MLS at retail pricing. There's a way to run that business and you're doing it. So thank you because I I get sick of hearing that. You know, believe me, there's off-market deals all over the place, but that's some people's number one thing is, oh, no, I find deals. There's no deals. I can't find any. Like, yeah, there are. There are deals. And you just have to be a little more creative. And I love your creativity, man. Love everything you're about. Thanks for doing this. If people want to get hold of you, if they want to reach out, if they want to just get into your world a little more, how can they do that? Yeah. So we have a website, just setyourrent.com. If you want to kind of learn how we target different people or what like our calculator and how to qualify people, or if you can just shoot us an email, it's homes at setyourrent.com. And that's the best way to get a hold of us. We'd love to just have a conversation. It's, it's enjoy. I enjoy having conversation and building the network out. Cause I feel like that's, that's just the best way to help other people and to help grow yourself personally. Totally. Adam, thanks for doing this. Thanks for your time. I appreciate all the knowledge and the transparency with everything you're doing. And I wish you nothing but luck in the future. I think you're awesome and you're going to be, uh, you're going to kill it. I can't wait to see what happens with you. Thank you for the compliment, Mike. And, and same to yourself. Thanks for having me on. It was an absolute pleasure. All right. Thanks, man. All right. That was a lot of fun. Buying property also, properties off the MLS and and creating a model around that blows my mind, especially in the market that we're in right now. Uh, but you just heard it. He's doing it. And I think hopefully you understood his model and how he's doing that. Um, very cool. It's a different twist on this whole real estate game that we're playing that I've never heard before. And I, I think it's interesting. It's kind of fun. Uh, I was telling him off market or off market. I was telling him off uh, mic that I, you know, I suffer from the same entrepreneurial ADD as probably a lot of you do too. And I hear something like this that I've never heard of before. It sounds so easy. And my brain immediately goes, I need to incorporate that, right? But, you know, focus, focus, right? You got to focus in life. And I've got a lot going on right now. But if you're thinking of a way to start and you don't know what to do and you're kind of doing that, I don't know, I can't find a deal. Here you go. Here's here's a here's a way to find deals uh, that people are not thinking about right now. So that's an option for you. But whatever you decide to do, however you approach this, approach it. Do it. Take action. Take the necessary action to get from point A to point B. Like he said, from zero to one. Zero to one is the hardest. One to many 
is so much easier. You just have to do the one, and you can't do that unless you do it. So go do it. We'll talk to you next time.